We are ready to go for another live episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Frischner, Rick Boring with you. And Rick, it's Monday, December 5th, and it's Crosstown Shootout Week. We have a huge episode tonight. You and I going back and forth about this one. We had talked about getting some people on for this show, but with the UC football coaching hire uh, going on right now, the the whole UC world is a little distracted from what's going on right now, at, le- at least on a Monday, that you and I are going to... You and I are going to give this one all we got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were a couple of people that I, I talked to about coming on the show, and then obviously UC announces that they're hiring Louisville's football coach, and I go, you know, I, I get it. It's probably not the right night for you, but unfortunately I'm leaving for uh, Pullman, Washington at 7 in the morning, so we kind of have to do this now. We will try to probably maybe do like a, a Twitter Spaces or maybe we'll do the infamous Zoom call uh, and see where that goes maybe like Friday night or something the night before just for the sickos that want to be degenerates and and talk about the game with us. But we wanted to do something more formal, get a real podcast out for the listeners and give it some shelf life. So that's what this will be. Yep. So anybody that's listening right now in a podcast form, we are taking questions. So if you're watching it, you can ask questions, especially if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. I say this every time we go live. Ask us the questions on YouTube or Facebook. We'll pop them up here on the screen. And if you're listening on a podcast, we'll make sure we read off the questions so that way we can uh, everybody can be on the same page. Rick, is there anything that we want to plug here with your website before we before we get started? Uh, no, I mean there is a fifty percent off deal going on right now. It's it's uh, you know fifty percent off the annual subscription price. So if you are interested in signing up, or if you're not aware that we have a website, uh, go to musketeerreport.com. We have a premium message board, and uh, should be some recruiting information coming out soon. I've been gathering some stuff on that front. It's been a bit quiet since signing day and and all of that. So we'll dive back into the recruiting stuff here over the next couple of weeks, and obviously all the coverage of the current team. All right. Well, let's get right into it. So we're going to start with West Virginia. Uh, We'll spend some time talking about that, and then we'll get into the shootout in the second half of the show uh, whenever we finish up with West Virginia. And like we said, if you have any questions or anything, uh, let us know. But Xavier on Saturday gets a huge win over West Virginia, 84 to 74. Musketeers were losing at the half. They were losing by seven at the half, but Xavier comes back to win it in the end, win it by 10 too, which... In convincing fashion, the Musketeers really put their stamp on this game at the end. The defense made some plays when they had to. West Virginia finished 0 for their last 8 from the field, 1 for their last 12. They didn't make a field goal in the final four minutes of the game. So Xavier really made the adjustments necessary. It felt like, Rick, when the game was on the line and when they had to get a win in front of a crowd. It was a great crowd. I know you weren't there you with the NKU game going on, but... It was a great crowd. It was a really good environment. The officiating left a lot to be desired, and I thought it was funny when I saw the officials. Uh, when I saw the list posted before the game, I thought, oh, boy, we're in for a choppy. I I commented to somebody right before the game. I said, we're in for a choppy one, and, and that's what it turned into. Um, but remove the officiating and everything else from it. It was a great atmosphere. It was a great game. And it was one that Xavier really needed going into the into the conference season here in a week or so. It was a game that Xavier really needed to win for their resume. They got it done at home. And uh, some big players made big plays when they had to. Sule Boom and Jack Nunji combined for 40. I thought Jerome Hunter played really well. I know he didn't necessarily fill it up in the stat sheet. But Sean Miller, Jack Nunji, everybody was very complimentary of Jerome after the game, which is 
a huge step after what we saw to Jerome in the second game of the season where he was basically unplayable. So things are, are starting to move forward. And I tweeted this after the game and, and before I, I turn it over to you, I, I thought this was really interesting. In, in Matt Norlander's article last week on, on CBS Sports, there was a part of uh, a paragraph right toward the bottom of the article where he talked about uh, Sean Miller talked about how, you know, you had played Indiana, you had played Gonzaga, you had played Duke. And he said that it was a, a stupid schedule to be playing with this team so early in the year when you don't really know how all the pieces fit with a new coach and everything like that, but you just have to make it work. And now all of a sudden, uh, you're you're playing these teams and you haven't gotten that win yet and you know you're a good team but you just have to hope that the guys don't get discouraged because they haven't actually gotten that win yet and to their credit they didn't it was an experienced couple of guys that stepped up when they had to Jerome Jack Sule they've been around the block and uh they got it done yeah well it was a big win and let's face it i mean there you get down to probably about the 12 or so minute mark, maybe that under 12 media time out there in the second half. And things weren't exactly looking good. Xavier had yet to make their move. They had really been trailing the entire game. And like you said, you're kind of getting that feeling of they're right there, but they just can't get over the hump in these big games. And then I thought Sule Boom took over at that point. To me, I mean, there were other big plays. There were other guys who stepped up. I think Jerome Hunter is a, is a really key point because defensively they were really good down the stretch and, Jerome Hunter had a lot to do with that, making the switch from Zach Fremantle to Jerome Hunter. But to me, Sule Boom was the guy. And I just can't say enough about what he's meant to this team and what a big pickup he was in the transfer portal. Sean Miller said after the game that he's exceeded my expectations. And he talked about not only after the game, but also in his coaches show tonight, how Sule's ability to get fouled and really just that ability in general, not necessarily as it pertains only to Sule, but anybody who has that ability to get fouled often, it translates to any level. And I mean, we, we've talked about that a lot with rebounding. Everyone always says rebounding is a skill that always translates. Fouling isn't, or drawing fouls and getting to the free throw line isn't one that we hear about as much, but I think it's a really good point and something that we should look at more going forward when we talk about the transfer portal and who you're looking to add and guys who are making that jump up from a lower mid-major conference to the Big East, I think this is a good lesson to learn and a good indicator that guys that can draw fouls, that they're going to have success. They're going to find ways to get points. And you look at what Sule Boom has done in the biggest games this year. He has 15 points and hits three threes against IU. He has 22 points, six assists, two turnovers against Florida. He had 23 points, was 12 of 12 at the free throw line against Duke. He was a little quieter against Gonzaga, only had 10 points in that game, and, and he had a pair of threes. And then against West Virginia, again, he turns it on late, leads the team down the stretch, knocks down all the free throws that he had. He was 11 of 14 at the line. He knocked down a pair of threes in this game, and he finishes with 23 points. I'm, I mean, I am just extremely impressed by what Sule Boom has brought to this team. Yeah, I'm with you. And I saw, and I'm trying to find it right now. Bart Torvik had a graph of high major players and their free throw late, uh, the free throw rate compared to their three point percentage. And Sule was just an outlier way on the other side of the graph. You saw everybody clumped up on one side. I'm going to try to find it and tweet it out. Um, but his free throw rate was at 67.5%, and his three point percentage was at 51%. 
pretty much everybody's combined over in the 30s and 40s. And to have a player like that, especially when we're talking about, think back to what we're talking about in the preseason, where it's, uh, it, does his size translate? Does his speed translate? Does does the athleticism translate? You know what what are what are some of those physical physical attributes uh, that translate? And hold on, I'm trying to find it right here. I see. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. I'll tweet it out here. Stop in, in looking at the comments, order. Paul. You're losing track Sorry. here. Stop no, looking I at was, the comments. I was, yeah, I was, I was looking at the comments. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I just, I think what Sule has been able to do offensively too, in answering all those question marks you and I had talked about so much before the season was huge. Yeah. Uh, Mark brings up a good point that Sule not only gets to the free throw line, but he yeah. makes the free throws. He shoots them at a really high rate. And this team is doing a pretty good job of that. Too. A Colby Jones is shooting free throws really well and getting to the free throw line more. So I think that's really been a, a strength of this team. But um, one of the other things that occurred in this game and and Mark asked about it, he said, I know Zach did not play much in the second half against West Virginia. Was that due to going small, a poor play or injury? And I thought this was was pretty notable because th- and we've talked about this a lot. The big lineup versus the small lineup, playing Zach Fremantle and Jack Nungy together versus sliding Colby Jones down to that forward spot and bringing in an extra guard. Or in this game, down the stretch at times, Jerome Hunter was playing that forward spot and did a very good job defensively and and uh, even had a nice tip in and and just played well overall, was was a solid piece in there that, that they were able to rely upon, which hasn't always been the case with Jerome. But to Mark's question about what happened and, and why was that, it was really about Zach Fremantle's struggles, quite honestly. Uh, he had issues on the defensive end. He turned the ball over a couple of times and made some mistakes. Um, only one rebound in 20 minutes, three turnovers in 20 minutes. It was not a good na- g- game for Zach Fremantle. And when they went smaller and got him off of the floor, they were much better defensively. I don't know that that's always going to be the case. And if you listen to what Sean Miller has said, it hasn't been the case. They've been better defensively with the two bigs, both playing, but going back to last year, even he's talked about how the numbers bared it out, that they were better with both bigs on the court together. So I think what we have at this point is it's going to be a game to game basis, whether or not the big lineup is, is working better or the smaller lineup is working better. And I think a lot of that is due to some inconsistent play from the guys involved. Zach Fremantle isn't all that consistent. There's going to be games where he's pushing a triple-double and he's filling up the stat sheet and he's scoring at will against opposing forwards. And then there's going to be games like the West Virginia game where he just doesn't have it. He doesn't seem to quite be in the flow defensively and locked in. And he's not giving you what you need. And then same thing goes for Jerome Hunter, obviously. He's been even more inconsistent in terms of having the off nights or the games where he seems unplayable. But when he plays like he did in this game, he does give you the physical makeup at that forward spot to guard multiple spots and be a pretty good defender and rebounder potentially. So I think that's kind of how we have to look at it now is it's a game-to-game basis whether or not you're going to be more successful with that bigger lineup or the smaller lineup. I don't know that we can just say there's a set pattern here and and go, yeah, it they they need to go smaller more often because that's a better look for them or vice versa. Uh, great Charles Bronson made a a great observation. I thought, and he and I were were talking after the game, and he 
sent me a text and he said, I was rewatching the second half of the game. And these are some of the things that I don't notice when I'm standing there behind the basket, getting ready to think about what I'm going to say before I throw t-shirts to the crowd. And he was talking about how in the second half, it seemed like Xavier was more willing to let Zach or Jack, the post players go more on an island to let the perimeter guys step out and defend the line, the three-point line more easily. And West Virginia made seven threes in the first half. They were on fire, sure. But in the second half, two for 10. And at some point, if you're Xavier, you have to make some kind of an adjustment to be able to defend the three, especially against a team like Cincinnati that at times can get hot from that. Well, this is what we talked about a lot in the last podcast is the issue with Xavier's three-point defense has mostly been an issue of overhelping. Some, yeah. so, sometimes that's against the drive, but a lot of cases early on this season, it's been helping out on the post because they've played against elite post players. Now, West Virginia didn't have elite post scorers inside. They had a couple of guys that were pretty good, but those guys also want to stretch the floor a little bit too. Like um, the, the big fellow is like 300 pounds. He's obviously a, a below the the rim, underneath the basket type scoring threat, but he's not going to kill you. And yeah. no one else on that team is too dominant as, in terms of an, uh, a low post score. So you don't have to offer as much help against West Virginia, which they did a better job of recognizing that in the second half. But yeah, I, I totally agree with uh, the great Charles Bronson, who's probably the best poster. Yeah, I, I'm trying to give credit here because I got in trouble for calling out posters recently uh, in a negative fashion. Let me say, great Charles Bronson, probably the best poster in the history of Musketeer Report, uh, <laughs> always has great insights. But yeah, I think I think he's exactly right. The overhelping on the post has been a problem, not just in the first half of the West Virginia game, but all season long and a big reason for why they've been giving up a lot of really clean looks. And, and to be quite honest, I think the best look you can get from three-point distance is the inside-out look where the ball goes into the post and comes back out. You're already squared up facing the basket, catching in rhythm and, and letting it go. To me, that's as good of a look as you can get in basketball. So uh, they definitely need to do a better job of limiting that. And and I think they did in the second half of this one. So I guess to follow up on that, is that something that you see that can be a, a more consistent thing for Xavier? Or is that was that just like a one-off in this game because Jimmy Bell wasn't Drew Timmy? it's partially that, but I do. Yes. It's something that they are going to get better at. And it, it's more of a, a recognition thing. Um, there are certain times where it's like, yeah, we want to dig down on the post. We want to offer some help, but you've also got to get a feel for it and a rhythm for it of like, okay, when he's, when he's at this point in his dribble, that's when I recover to my man and I get home. So we don't give up a wide open three. And again, part of that is you can do that much easier be in two places at once, so to speak as a defender, if you're Colby Jones or if you're Desmond Claude, you're 6'5 and you're long and you're athletic. Part of the issue Xavier has is Adam Kunkel physically isn't able to do that as easily. Even if he's doing the right thing and being in the right spots, him recovering out to a shooter just isn't changing their shot enough because he's not as long and athletic as and as quick and he can't contest in the same way a bigger, uh, more premium defender can. So I, I think that's some of what the same thing goes for Kiki Tandy, obviously. And Sule Boom has, I think, done a, a better than expected job defensively. But he, too, is is on the smaller side. He's given up a lot of weight and uh, isn't an elite defender. So I, I think it's all of those things combined goes into this and is part of how they're going to have to try to 
work around those things and, and do a better job. It's, it's not going to be perfect because of some of their deficiencies, but they will get better at it. And you're already seeing signs of that. Uh, we have a bunch of questions coming in here, Rick. I don't know if you want to start pulling one or two of these up. Uh, Sule Boom is a point guard that scores. Do you like the point guard Boom? Wait. Do you like the point guard Boom is or more of a playmaker? Yeah. Well, I mean, this I, is he's what they needed, I think. The, oh, I his his right. ability to score and take over in late game situations and just be the guy that says, I want to do that. I want the ball in my hands. I want to go draw a foul, make a play for somebody. I love everything about his makeup and the style that he plays. To me, he's he's exactly what this team needed. Um, and on the the from the standpoint of being a better playmaker or being more of a playmaker, I actually really like that side of his game too. I was worried about that because at UTEP, he was really a shooting guard and a scorer first and foremost and, and third most. I mean, there wasn't a lot of passing going on when he was at UTEP. He has really done a nice job of learning to play with talent and involving his teammates and even just seeing guys, you know, cutting back door or a big man who whose man lost him for a second. He flashes open underneath. He's found guys at times like that. So I think he's doing a great job of making plays for his teammates, too. Yeah. And I thought he gave a great quote to uh, I thought uh, Boom gave a great quote to Baum after the game. He said, I knew I had to take over this game for us to win. I told Sean Miller, I want to take over. We in this, we're not losing this game. And that's finally how long have we been saying how how much Xavier needs somebody with that attitude. And I'm not saying that nobody on the team has it. We just never hear about it. And to to have somebody to go out there and say, I want the ball right now. We're going to win this game is encouraging to hear. Well, I would go as far as to say as they they have lacked that guy the last year or two. I mean, at yeah. times, Paul Scruggs has tried to fill that role, but it wasn't natural for him. And also the the inability to be able to step back and rely on his three-point shot, I think, in those scenarios made it easier to defend a guy like him. Sule's ability to knock down the three consistently and stick a dagger in your heart, but also the second you get off balance or you're a step late, he's going to get into your body and draw a foul on you and get to the free throw line. He is great in those situations for those reasons, and he's been a lot of fun to watch. I, I, I can't say enough good things about him. He has totally been better than I expected in pretty much every way. Okay, so Troy wants to know, do you foresee any future use of the zone that we saw in Portland? X has been floating with foul trouble disaster and bigger games, and lack of depth doesn't give them great options when stars sit. If I'm being honest, I just don't think Sean Miller's going to believe in his own defense. I, I'm, I don't I'm not really saying, get that vibe either. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's like a wrong instinct to talk about that, Troy, or think, oh, maybe that'd be a good look for them. But I think, and to be fair, I, I think if you don't practice a zone and you don't trust it and, and it's not like part of who you are, it's hard to really be good at it and rely upon it in important moments. And the thing you see coaches who don't really trust a zone do all the time is they play a zone for a few possessions, they give up an open three, or they give up an offensive rebound for a stick back, and then immediately they're like, get out of it, we're never playing it again. And they lose all faith in it because of one tiny sample size of they didn't do what they were supposed to do. But again, one, you're going to give up some things in a zone that you don't necessarily give up in your man-to-man. And two, if you don't really use it enough and give it a chance to work and learn where you're supposed to be and where your teammates are going to be around you and, and get a feel for it, you're not going to be good at it. 
It's just like your man to man, but they believe in the man to man and they give that enough of a chance to work. So um, I'm not being critical or anything. I'm just saying that's what I see as a, a general rule for coaches and how they feel about zone defenses. And I think Sean Miller probably falls in the camp of he doesn't trust it. He doesn't believe in it. So will you see it occasionally? Maybe, but I don't think it's going to be something that they rely on. I think he's going to ingrain into them that they're going to get better at the pack line man to man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ben wants to know, do you keep up with the snow globe? This is a, a, a kind of an interesting topic because I, I saw this come up when I was getting slandered everywhere on the internet this week. Um, I don't understand the idea of like Brian Snow left and now we have there's like no connection to him and we're never going to hear from him again. He went to an actual coaching staff where he knows like for real what's going on with all types of recruitments and other stuff. And I text him daily like, I've never gotten more information from Brian Snow than I have since he joined Penn State's <laughs> coaching staff. No, I, I, that's that's unfair. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm doxing him now. I shouldn't be doing that. But in all seriousness, like yes, I keep up with Brian Snow. It uh, uh, it's not like he has died, and uh, it's not like he cut off all communications with twenty four seven or Musketeer Report. So um, <laughs> Snow is doing well. He is uh, he is a good friend, and and we talk all the time. Uh, Bob wants to know how does the captain compare to the great Charles? Well, he, that's a great point. It's like a yin and a yang. You, you well, can't. No, have one that's not. No, no, don't, don't do that. The captain doesn't post on my board. Captain is a quiet reader. He is just a social media guy. He does not provide sure? anything to the board. Are we sure he doesn't I, have some sort of a burner that isn't on there somewhere? I'm pretty sure he's told me he does not post. Oh, does he not? Okay. I, I could be wrong, but I don't believe the captain posts on the board ever. I think oh. he is just a reader and a social media guy. Which so he just obviously, oversees the ship. Yeah, I would give him a Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame in terms of Xavier's social media personalities. But in terms of message board posters, I don't think he even posts. Oh, okay. Uh, Sule Boom, best point guard since two Holloway. Uh, I would say Samaje, maybe. Wait. Yeah, I mean, we we need more time to play out here for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, you've got you've got Samaji, you've got Edmund Sumner ahead of him in terms of like talents. Um, yeah. But if he does something special and leads this team on some type of run in the postseason, I'm not against making that argument at some point. I mean, he's in the yeah. conversation. I think for sure. Uh, Mark, is the net rankings worth looking at anymore based on some of the rankings except Louisville? Should we all just ignore? No, 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 no. The problem is that the NCAA just re released it on December 5th and not on January 20th when it would have been more relevant. Well, but okay. We'll like, yes, that you're right. It will get better. It works out the kinks as it goes. But if you've got a system that ends up with like Sam Houston State is number seven or any of the other ridiculous irregularities that we have been pointed out. Is it a good system? Because like Ken Palm doesn't have those things going on. Ken Palm's rankings make sense right now. And I understand it's because they're using some of like last year's rankings baked in right now. But why don't we just use Ken? I, I actually agree with Mark here. Why don't we just use Ken Palm? Because it already makes sense. We don't need to wait six weeks for Ken Palm to make sense. It makes sense now. Why don't we just use that? Why the net? I don't get why you have a system that is so off base and so ridiculous, even this early. Well, I guess it goes back to making both parties happy because that's this. This is the same person that's also saying that we shouldn't see college football rankings until November, right, or December, and and that the preseason rankings affect well, who, too much of who's what the you person. Have. What do you mean? I just mean like in general. I'm not oh. saying like Mark. I'm just saying like the general person that would argue that we shouldn't have the AP poll in week one that has. 
Oregon ranked as number three when they're or whatever, you know, you, you, you get the point that I'm making where it's like, this could work. It's just that now all of a sudden you see Sam Houston state at number 10 and you're thinking, okay, well, this is just irrelevant where like on March 1st, it works out. It does. But again, I mean, like if you have a, a system that is giving you these outputs, regardless of when it is, doesn't it kind of not make sense to some extent? Like you, you have other systems that work better that already give us normal, reasonable outputs right now, this early in the season. Why do we have to be different and go to the net? That's like, Oh no, just trust us by March. It'll all work itself out. And maybe it does. And that's fine. I just, I, I tend to agree. That's like Ken Palm sitting right there. Why don't I mean, I, pay the man as much? I keep Ken Palm booked bookmarked on my laptop. I don't Everybody keep the does. All the coaches on, do yeah. all the committee members yeah. do. It's like, it's the standard at this point. And for some reason, the NCAA just doesn't want to admit it and use it. Yeah. I don't keep the net bookmarked. I'll check it every once in a while. Uh, Samaje was pretty damn. Yeah. Agreed, Ben. Yeah. He was really good. He, he was pretty good. But it was also uh, just such a different team, right? Like, I mean, Samaje well, was had that go- team. You take him off that team and that team, I mean, that team already had a lot of issues, but you take him off that team and that team is horrendous. But it also meant he had to do everything. You know, so yeah. it's like his role and his numbers are going to be totally different from Sule Boom playing with two first team all Big East preseason selections and Colby Jones and Jack Dungey, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Pete, Pete we, we we are going to get to a UC preview here. Uh, we will. I see Pete asking about a snake draft of UC and X players for this year's game. We will do that here in a little bit when we oh, uh, preview. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, um, D and Ed were pretty damn good too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm ready to to put Sule ahead of D at this point already. Yeah. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Uh, Cap watches in the dark of night. <laughs> sure. Uh, See, I told you. Cap has posted about 10 times. He is not a poster on the message board. All right. Uh, Loki would like to hear your guys' thoughts on the net. <laughs> uh, what players from Xavier do you see getting drafted or getting a shot on an NBA team after this season? Um, Colby Jones, obviously. Yeah, Colby and... Uh, I mean, Jack, Jack probably gets on a summer league team, I would think. Yeah, I was, that's that he... what I was going to say. Jack Jack will get a look. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if anybody else at this point, you know, after this season especially, I don't know that we're talking about anybody else. Yeah. Uh, abolish the net, bring back the BCS. And is there a Rick and Chad pot podcast? There's not. I, I, I haven't done a podcast with Chad in, in a couple years, so. Uh, no Sam Houston slander will be tolerated. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up this West Virginia preview so we can or uh, uh, recap so we can talk about the Crosstown Shootout preview. I think there were two guys that I want to talk about that came off the bench in this game, played a lot of minutes. Desmond Claude plays six seventeen minutes, and Jerome Hunter we talked about a little bit already played sixteen minutes off the bench. That's been a conversation with Sean Miller throughout the the early part of the season, developing some bench strength getting more out of that. I think we're getting to the part where Desmond Claude is getting there, where he's ready to give you something. Uh, The one thing that I just love about his game that we've seen each of the last two games is his transition passing. Those advanced passes he makes up the floor. He had one to Nunji early in the second half of the West Virginia game. And I I love watching this guy pass. He really sees the floor well, and he just throws bullets into traffic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I agree. It's it's just I don't know. I, I I just think that when we when we were talking about that, Rick, and we were talking about like 
what Xavier can get, what kind of depth that can they get, what kind of production can they get, and you start seeing that, you start to you start to be a lot more encouraged, I would think. Yeah, well, and he the other part about his play is that his three point shot is not what I would call good, and he's not going to shoot a lot of them, but he looks confident shooting them. Yeah. He's, he's three for nine on the season right now, I believe, and um, you know, a big one in this game with like. 1540 to play or something like that. Um, I think it brought it brought them back within one possession at the time. And, you know, he's hit threes against Florida. He's hit a three against Duke. It's, it's not like he's been, he's been sneaking them in against the Southeastern Louisiana's of the world. Like he's, he's made important shots in big games. So I think he has confidence with his jumper. And now all of a sudden you get into a situation looking forward where it's like, I thought he was going to be a non-shooter. And you were really going to have to put some guys around him, but I think he's going to be a, a threat, if nothing else, capable going forward. And you had like a Trey Green at the point guard spot play those two guys alongside each other with like a Cam Craft next to him. All of a sudden, you have a really prolific perimeter offensive threat there in your backcourt with those guys, and uh, obviously a couple more guys you could bring off the bench with Reed Desharm and Dalen Swain, and and getting all all those future names. But I think the the way Desmond Claude is starting to develop, and you're starting to see signs, is pretty exciting. What that means not only for this team, but going forward for the future. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I I've been very impressed with Desmond's and just his physical attributes too. He he gets in the game and he doesn't look out of place. Sometimes you see freshmen get in the game and they just seem really out of place because whether they're small or they're not as athletic yet or whatever it might be, they just don't look like they belong. But to me, whenever Desmond gets in the game, he looks like he belongs. He also looks exactly like Colby. So sometimes when he gets into the game and I have to do a quick double take, I'm like, oh, wait, who who is that down there? <laughs> well, they're like, I mean, Colby is stronger and a little yeah. thicker, but they are almost identical size wise. When you see yeah, that's what I mean. Together. Desmond has like almost the same body type. So I would also say that probably bodes well for his physical development, because if you end up looking like Colby Jones, that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, March uh, said, I thought Kraft was going to pick up his shooting after Southeast Louisiana, but he seems afraid in bigger games to take the open look. I noticed that, too, and it's been something that's kind of shocked me, Mark. The fact that Cam Kraft would play five minutes in this game. And by the way, be trusted defensively to stay on the floor against Eric Stevenson for five minutes. And I think did an okay job from what I could tell. That's the big, that's the bigger shock to me is that they would leave him out there for five minutes without him taking a single shot and basically just trust him to play defense. So I think the Southeast Louisiana game was good for both he and Claude to build confidence and play through a few mistakes because you're not in a one possession game where you're like, Oh, we can't have him out there right now. Yeah. And that probably gave the coaching staff a little more trust in these guys too. But I, I am surprised right now by Cam Kraft uh, seeming conscious conscience on the offensive end where he just doesn't want to pull the trigger and let it go from deep because, like, that is – he has always been an uber-confident player. That's, that's who he's been his entire career. So I'm anxious to see the point where he starts letting it fly from three a little bit more often. And, and granted, he's not playing a lot, but even – just the fact that he's on the floor for five minutes, I, I'm surprised that he didn't get a single shot up. Yeah. Uh, Rick, any room Raider would destroy you guys right now. Spice up your backgrounds. So to be fair, 
That's a great point. To be fair, I'm sitting in the corner of my basement now where I have this like little makeshift studio set up. So after I started doing the rebound rundown a, a few weeks ago, usually when I when you and I do these podcasts, I'd come down here, I'd set up a table, I'd do everything, and then I'd take it down right after. But because I'm down here recording every night now, I've got this little setup here in the last couple of weeks. So I don't got I don't have anything behind me. So if you want if anybody wants to sponsor this corner and this corner, thank you. I'm willing to Perfect. I'm willing I have all of this real estate, and if it has to be, and I have to zoom out a little bit, I got more real estate. I got more. Yes, exactly right, Paul. I mean, what do you want from us, Ben? We're just trying here to provide you. Con- I throw up a freaking blue light in the background because yeah. I care so much about this content. But like, look, just come on and sponsor us if you're if you're worried about how bare our back. I got plenty are. Put of room. Up, yeah, I'll put up a giant banner with all the like, just like it's. Uh, remember when UC made the Big Twelve wallpaper background for their announcement yeah. for the Big Twelve, and they didn't get in. Make me one of those. I'll put one of those repeating logos up. Yeah, I mean, I know I got a big head, but we got plenty of space back here. We're good. Just slide a little my way. Uh, do oh, you think I mean, anyone? I, yeah, I no, mean, no. We can talk about I'm, that another yeah. time. No one's transferring out at the semester. Um, no chance Colby stays after this season. Yeah, I, I think there's a, think a chance can. that he stays, but I, I yeah. don't think it's hugely likely. I think he'll probably leave after this year, if I had to guess. Uh, no, we're not talking about the recruiting class right now. We can get into that another show. We've got too much. It's a crosstown shootout show, guys. Yeah. We're already a half hour into this. Uh, Jerome Hunter's role change has solidified the rotation. Yeah, I mean, if he if he plays it consistently, Sean, he I think Jerome can solidify the rotation. It's just a, a matter of him playing that way and giving you consistent defense, consistent effort, and, and being where he's supposed to be all the time. Yeah. MK says Trey Green is going to be awesome. I would agree. I think he's going to be really good. Agreed. Uh, we got a lot of comments. Have, I, I love this. We, yeah, we got who, a lot going on here. Who do we have to bribe to get Sule for another year? Um, I don't. I mean, I mean I, I'm sure somebody will take NIL money. I'm not asking for another pandemic, but I think that might be the only way you can get another year of eligibility at this point. We are on our way to Rick's dream of four Colby's and a pig. Yeah, I mean, that's I've said that before. I would totally just play with, especially with the way he's shooting now. I mean, the yeah. way his shot has come around, you could really get away with playing four Colby's and a big. He's He leads the team in assists. And yeah. obviously, he's been a I The thing I love about the way Colby is playing is even after that four-game stretch where he started shooting the ball really well and knocking down threes, he comes back in this West Virginia game. What did he take, one or two threes? I mean, was not looking to hunt threes at all. He was really aggressive, got to the free throw line in this game as much as he has all season. Yeah, Colby is – and this team needed him to take a step forward offensively in terms of being more aggressive and being more of like that go-to guy. Well, one, Sule Boom has helped take some of that responsibility off of his shoulders – and then two, he has done a really good job of actually being more aggressive on the offensive end, despite the fact that they're asking him to do an insane amount on the defensive end too. Like it's like a one guard, one game guard, six uh, ten Kyle Filipowski in the post. Next game, we need you to guard the other team's point guard, who happens to be a dynamic scorer and ball screen player. It's I mean he has a different assignment every game, and it's always really difficult. And and he's doing a, a really good job on both ends. Yeah. I don't uh, think Kraft had any open looks in the WVU game. Yeah, I mean, fair, but that, that's kind of the point, right? Like, I would expect him to get open looks. Um, Kraft, big, strong enough to play minutes in Big East games. I mean, if you can do it in, against West Virginia, I don't know how many minutes, but if he's 
he can play five minutes against West Virginia. I think he can give you five minutes against Big East competition, right? Yeah. I think his role is going to continue to expand as the season I do. I do. I think it's clear that they are trying to get him in games to get him to an expanded role. Yeah. If they were, if they were, if they were washing their hands and saying, let's just basically redshirt him and move on to next year, even if that's a James Farr redshirt situation where maybe you should have redshirted him. Right. I don't think we're at this point where we're even still talking about him. Yeah. It's a, he would not be getting five minutes without taking a shot against West Virginia. Cause that felt like a moment where you're kind of force feeding the minutes to him in that situation. Cause that's a big game. You're down while he's on the floor. He's guarding one of their better players. So, you know, I think he's at least shown enough that they're like, we, he's coming along. We're going to get him there by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, There's no doubt yeah. about it. No. Yeah. True. No, get doubt. me some dump truck wallpaper. <laughs> How much for the right wall? Uh, Start the bidding at, uh, I'd say $50 a show for your right wall. Sure. That checks out. Xavier's crushing the team total. Yeah. The overs are crazy. Yeah. Eight and one. We talked about that a couple shows ago. It's automatic. Like if you're not, if you're, if you're a gambler and you're not playing the overs, you're just giving away money. Will Musketeer Report consider using OnlyFans? What kind of content would we have to produce to be appealing on OnlyFans? I have no idea. I have no comment. That could be considered a positive (laughs) thing to this, to add to the show. (laughs) Had they not been separated, who are you taking Colby or Stevenson? Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. What, what, what are we talking? What are we talking about? Adam, Adam, what are we talking about? I mean, well, the only thing to his credit and Adam is the like, uh, the, the man who keeps track of all the times that Col- Colby gets hit in the face. Maybe he's just worried that Colby's face will be a magnet to Stevenson's fists. And that is true. He will get beat up in that manner. But in terms of like that fight, there really is no contest. Also, I had, I had everybody and a lot of people in the replies uh, coming at me for that angle of the video that I put out with the, I don't know if you saw that with the scrum after the game, yeah, Did you where he put it? his, and I was like, pointed in I didn't face. say it was a good video. I just, put out the video and said here was my angle of it oh they didn't they didn't like the quality of your, well, it, your video well yeah you know beans came in the reply and was like hey you're you know you're i we need better video here paul and i was like i to be honest i was panicking i didn't even see it happen like i just lucked out i was just taking a video of the crowd to end the game and i just lucked out that it happened on the camera but yeah i didn't really get a great angle of it i adam i'm taking colby all day every day uh cesar still in the future plans if you mean beyond this year, that I don't know, but it doesn't seem like he's in the plans this year. Yeah, I, I can't really see him breaking through, and then the problem at that point becomes. <laughs> as And there was a good conversation about this on the message board, by the way, about like the, the history of how many guys have done nothing, basically, through their first two years, not been able to find the court, and then developed into something. And the history is not real good. And obviously, the staff, it's going to be their responsibility to recruit better for next year. So it becomes a matter of you hate to use the term being recruited over, but realistically, that's that's kind of what we're talking about. But also for Cesar's Cesar's part, it where do you go? I mean, like you know how many how many schools are interested in what he's done to this point? So it could be a situation where this option is as good as any for him next year, sticking out and yeah. and trying to play himself into a role. But I'm with you. I don't see him being in the plans this year much. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, my money's on Brian O'Connell winning by calling both Jones and Stevenson for a charge. Oh yes. man. Uh, Stevenson is all talk Colby all day. Yeah. I, I don't get, I didn't get the sense that fans were too enamored with Stevenson and, and his antics on the court. Uh, <laughs> Are you guys surprised at the lack of minutes for Cesar? I'm not after seeing preseason no. practice. I would say like it it wasn't close between him and Deontay in terms of who who should be getting That's the minutes. Crazy like, too. It, it wasn't close. And um and Deontay, you know, is obviously struggling to find a consistent role of his own. So um yeah. I'm I'm not really surprised by it at all. Stevenson's got um, some that's, that's not nice. <laughs> That's a, that might be the meanest thing I've ever seen Baum say about anyone. I've never, I've never heard him say a bad word about anyone before. That that can't be the real Adam Baum. There's no way. That's got to be a burner. Yeah, that that's a burner now. Um, odds on whether or not you think Cesar cracks the rotation. But, oh, okay. Sorry, another Cesar yeah. question. I didn't read this before. I think we have a. But, I think I yeah. think we've covered the Cesar question sufficiently. Um. All right. So, do you want to just go ahead and get into uh into the shootout here? Yeah, I think. Uh, oh, oh, here, wait, Bob, Bob. Before we, how did you like the Huggins post game, Rick? Did oh, you watch the post game? It was game? so good. It that was, was un- so good. I mean, so, like just peak whiny, complainy Bob Huggins. It was so. Great. In the post game, the opposing coach has the option of doing the post game press conference either in the hallway that's outside the locker room or doing it actually on the podium in the main Xavier media room. You don't see the opposing coaches too much through the season, but for the high major games, you do see them every once in a while come in, especially in the Big East. But like Mike Woodson for Indiana, he didn't come in. He did his in the in the hallway outside the locker room. But Huggins, we were all expecting Sean to come in, and then the door opens, and Bob comes walking in, and he put on an eight-minute performance of a lifetime. I mean, five, six-word answers, just what what do you expect? I, I love right. the um, someone asked, like, how do you get better at stopping straight line drives? And he goes, <laughs> you don't give up straight line drives. Yeah, you know, I was 6'3", that slow, white guy, stay in front of him. I don't understand it. It's like, <laughs> that's that's the worst Bob Huggins impression of all time. But it was just so good. Um, I, I also loved the part where he said something to the effect of, like, oh, we, we've worked on ball screen coverage for the last three days. Thought we were getting better at it. Obviously, we're not. Okay, thanks, Bob. <laughs> I mean, is the great thing about it if is it, if it was any other coach and they didn't have his cachet or his success, everyone would hate those answers so much. It would be like this guy has no clue, he doesn't care, what have you. And because it's Huggins, everyone's just like, oh, he's the best. What what a great guy. What a coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess I guess that's it. Right, you know it's going to be a good presser when they talk over the person asking the first. Yeah, he, he when you cut off let, the first question, it's always going to be good. You're he didn't right. even let the first person get the question out, and he just started talking. I wonder what old Bob Huggins tape would look like. Yeah, do they have video from those days? What years did Bob Huggins play? Was he like in the eighties? Oh, Is that right or seventies? I was going to say it's had to be the seventies, right? He's been it's coaching for what thirty years? So late seventies. I don't Probably. do public math. Let's not get too far down this rabbit hole because it'll only get more embarrassing as we go. All right, let's All right. Uh, let's move let's move on to the reason why a lot of people are probably sitting here listening to us right now. Crosstown shootout again. This is going to be what Rick and I do to preview the shootout. 
Uh, Rick's traveling up to Washington State to do the game in Pullman for NKU. So we'll try to do, if, if you're listening right now and didn't catch the beginning, we're going to try to do something later this week, but we don't know for sure. Might be a Twitter Spaces, might be something. But if you're looking for that podcast content, this is it. Rick, I'm going to say something right now that I know Xavier fans are not going to want to hear. And I'm, j- I'm, I'm just going to say it. All right, I'm, say it. Ju- I'm, I'm just going to say it. This is, I've seen a, a lot on the message boards. I've seen a lot on Twitter. I've had a lot of people talking to me about this crosstown shootout and how this is just as much of a layup as last year and how this is, Xavier team is uh, head and shoulders above this Cincinnati team, both on the court and on the sidelines. I agree with all of that. I very much agree with that. I think Xavier can easily win this shootout by 15 to 20 points. But what I will caution every person that is going on and on and on about Xavier winning this shootout by 20 points this week before you dig yourself into too much of a hole is that for some reason, Vegas, who is not who is right more often than they are wrong, thinks that this is going to be a one and a half point to two point spread, which to me tells me that they think that Cincinnati has a very legitimate shot, not just a home court in a rivalry game shot to win this game. If you are looking at that, and I know a lot of people listening might not be into the betting, and that's fine. If you're not into the betting, whatever. But there are ways to look at Vegas and how they set lines and how they take money and what they think about a game to where if Xavier was going to be an 11 and a half, 12 point favorite, I would say that Xavier would win this game by 25 points. But to put in perspective where Xavier is sitting right now, if you go to Ken Palm, which we talked about so much earlier, Xavier has the same percentage chance, 57%, to beat UC that they had to beat West Virginia on Saturday. So just to put in perspective where we're at with this game, I fully agree with you, Rick, which I know you're about to say that Xavier... <laughs> I know I made that mistake a couple of times today. I made that mistake a couple of times today. I well, we got we got to explain because it's a podcast too that people can't yeah. see what's so really somebody on. commented in and said Kenny Satterfield hire was pretty surprising. I said Kenny Satterfield today at least two or three times. I love the visual of Kenny Satterfield being hired as the new UC football coach. I can't get it out of my head that I keep thinking it's Kenny Satterfield. That's Does his daughter team. still play at Xavier? No, she transferred to Seton Hall. She actually played at Xavier last Friday or or over the weekend. I'm up there. Saturday, Sunday? When when did I call that game? I get them all mixed up. Anyway, my point about the shootout is I'm going – I fully believe that this is a Xavier team that has the advantage both on the court and on the sideline. But, yes, it's a rivalry game. Yes, it's a game at Cincinnati. But the other thing I would say, just looking beyond those kind of intangibles, is this is a Cincinnati team that made 17 threes against Arizona. This is a team that scored 97 points yesterday against a very beleaguered Bryant team and has scored at least 80 points against six of their nine opponents so far. I'm just saying that if this is a game where Cincinnati comes out at home and makes 13 threes in a game and catches lightning in a bottle, you know, we've seen Xavier not be able to defend the perimeter at times this year. It just makes you at least think about it whereas last year i think it was so much of a foregone conclusion which it probably should be this year anyway yeah but I, i'm just kind of putting it out there I, 
But, okay, to counter that point, though, the last point that you just made, do you think last year's team was more likely to slip up in a game like this, or do you think this year's team is more likely to slip up in a game like this? Xavier or? or Xavier. The Xavier team. Both years were saying they're the favorite. Which team do you think was more likely to slip up and and not play? Last last year's team. Right. That's what I would say, too. So, yeah. That's kind of when I when I start going down that road of like, and, and again, you're right. I mean, you see if they shoot like they did in the second half against Arizona, which was one of the hardest things to explain <laughs> that has happened all year in college basketball season. How they went from scoring 11 in the second half against NKU to the very next game scoring 165 points in the second half against Arizona and making 17 threes. That didn't really make a lot of sense to me, and that would be my biggest concern if I was a Xavier fan about this game. Is like, do they have that ability to just to Julius and Nolly and maybe Skillings or Reed or one of the freshmen off the bench all get hot at the same time and they just start throwing threes in? That is really the only way I see this being a problem for Xavier. I'm not trying to sit here at all in the slightest. I want to make this very, very, very clear because I know there will be responses to this on the message board or in my Twitter DMs. I want to make this abundantly clear. This Xavier team is light years better than this Cincinnati team on the court and, in my opinion, on the sidelines too. I have watched almost every minute of Cincinnati's season this year, and I've watched every minute of Xavier's season. When Cincinnati shoots the ball well and they get hot, that would be the... That would be a Cincinnati game where they would have a chance on Saturday. Now, the other thing is, and not that he brought a lot of offensive production, but defensively, Rob Finnessy will not play in this game. John Newman will not play in this game. A couple of guys that they could really rely on defensively, both guys are hurt. So, well, and, and just, that's some, yeah, just the point ahead. guard position too. With Finnessy out, yeah. they are down to basically their two starting guards now, Mike Adams Woods and David Julius are really all they have in terms of point guard options. So both of those guys, yeah. I mean, they don't stagger them in terms of the starting lineup. So it's like, okay, Woods goes to the bench for a few minutes. You slide to Julius over to the point and then vice versa. It's it's not a great situation. And like, honestly, no. they, towards the end of that Bryant game, and it was already in hand, so they might've just been bringing in their, their subs, but like they brought in CJ Anthony, who's a walk-on. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? And uh, Oh my <laughs> God, that's CJ Anthony. Like he's already in. Okay. So that I, I think that does matter in, in a game like this where turnovers are always a big thing. UC does a good job of taking care of the basketball for the most part. They haven't had issues with that this year. But, you know, you, you get later in that game or David DeJulius gets in foul trouble or something, that could play a role not having Rob Finnessy. He's not much of an offensive player at all, like you alluded to, but just the fact of not having your backup point guard does matter, I think. Oh, it very much does. And like I said, he's just – He's just somebody that you can you can put out there both for depth and for defensive production, and you're not going to have that. And that is one thing I will say that looking at the look-ahead lines, Vegas hasn't factored that in yet, clearly, because the line hasn't been updated since before his injury. Um, so when you look at those kinds of things, you know, we, we, we could be talking about a five or six-point spread, who knows, by Friday, whatever. But I'm just saying that um, looking at this game, now, from, from that perspective, Victor Locken has had a great season. Victor Locken has, to this point, for I what you see was... that NKU tape, but... Well, that's true. He did not... <laughs> he did, he did might not ask have Chris a, Brandon how he feels about Victor Locken. did not have but. a great game against uh, the Norse, but I don't think anybody on that UC team... Now, here, let me ask you this, Rick, because we were both there, but you, but you 
we're calling that game and and we're a little more in tune with the with the stats of that game. What do you think that that NKU game was um, more of a credit to NKU or a or a off game for UC or a combination of the both or or how was that? Like Com- if, if somebody's Com- listening Com- and just didn't just see the score. Yeah, combination of the two for certain. I'm not going to act like UC put their best foot forward and NKU was just so dominant that they couldn't handle it. But there was a perfect storm there to some extent. When UC is at their best on, on the offensive end, as we've talked about, they're getting Nolly and Julius knocking down shots. And what both of those guys like to do is play in isolation some, but also play off of ball screens. And NKU within that matchup zone, you're not playing one-on-one. You're playing one on three to five guys at all times because they're all kind of watching the ball and there to help and ball screens don't really work very well against it. So we, I've seen that a lot against really dynamic guards who come in and want to play off ball screens. They just don't do much against that matchup zone oftentimes. And if you are able to take away DeJulius's ability to get shots and Nolly's not on fire from the outside, UC's offense is nothing. Like they have nothing to rely on, nothing to go to at that point. None of the other guys are going to step up. Jeremiah Davenport is not the type of guy you want to rely on as your go-to scorer in that he's situation. He's had a bad year. Yeah, he's shooting the ball terribly, uh, not oh, just man, from three, but from inside year. the arc, too. He's shooting like 30% overall. So he is not a guy you want to rely on. It has to be one of those two guys. And against that matchup zone, those two guys were always going to struggle because of how they like to get their points and the way that zone works. And then you know, they, they obviously didn't play very well on top of that. So I think it was a combination of both. Um, when you, you talked about Victor Locken, he's a threat on the offensive glass and in the right matchup where he's not playing against someone who is either much more athletic or much stronger than him, then he can have some success one-on-one offensively in the post. But if he gets up against a guy who's really athletic or really physically strong, he tends to to shy away from that and struggle to do much. So uh, I, I don't worry about him too much against Jack Nunji, although he will score some points. Jack isn't like the most physical guy. He's not going to beat you up too much. So I think that'll be a, a decent matchup, but you're definitely going to lean heavily in favor of Jack Nunji. I mean, we can kind of go down the starters for you, see, and, and, and sort of compare that before we necessarily do a draft because um, I don't know how closely everyone's followed their non-conference schedule. They haven't played many interesting games aside from the, the Maui tournament. Um, no, so you got- it is funny. It is funny looking at Victor Locke. And if you go to Ken Palm and you click on like comparable players, you know, or, or players that are having comparable seasons and Nate Watson is right at the top of the list for his 2020 season. No, well, that's a, that's not a bad comparison. Take Nate Watson, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, all right. So you see stars, you got Mike Adams woods at point guard, six, three, one eighty. David DeJulius, six foot two hundred at the two guard. Landers Nolly, the transfer from Memphis, six seven two hundred at the three. Then you go Jeremiah Davenport, six seven two fifteen at the four, and Victor Locken, six eleven two forty at the center position. They really off the bench. They have zero front court talent after Victor Locken. In fact, the the guy that they brought in, uh, Kalua Zikbe, that they were playing earlier in the year, they've basically completely benched and they just burned a red shirt of the freshman Sage Tolentino from Hamilton just this past Sunday against Bryant because Zekbe has been that bad. So yeah. I mean, they they have like literally nothing. Odio Guama is basically their backup big man and, and he's a total zero on offense as you saw last year. Um, 
Dan Skillings to me, Daniel Skillings, the freshman, Xavier recruited him a little bit from the Philly area. He's the most dangerous guy off the bench for them, in my opinion. And he's averaging like six points a game, four and a half rebounds, playing about 15 minutes a game off the bench. He's got big time potential long-term. I don't know if he's quite ready for a game like this, and he definitely hasn't been a consistent threat for them, but it seems like there's always someone who steps up in the shootout that's kind of an unexpected hero. A lot of times we we look to seniors for that, but in UC's case this year, I think Daniel Skillings is probably the most likely guy, I would I would think. Yeah, Dan Skillings has only made more than one three in one game this year. It was against Bryant on Sunday, and that was the only game he scored in double figures either. He had 14. But you're right, Rick. I think Skillings has shown a lot this year, and uh, Landers Nolly has just been up and down. I mean, if you look at how he's played, he scores 33 points against Arizona, was 9 for 14 from three in that game. And then the next night against Ohio State, he scores two points and goes 0 for 3 from three. Yeah. The, thi- <laughs> the that, thing about what? him is it seems like he's kind of just off in his own world to some extent. I don't mean that like as a shot, but it's like it, it's kind of disconnected from what's going on with the rest of the team. It's like he's going to take his shots. They're going to be threes. He's going to do some ISO stuff. He doesn't really need you to call a lot of plays for him. He doesn't need his teammates to get him involved. He's just going to do his own thing. And like if he's making shots that day, he can be tough to deal with. But if not, he really provides almost nothing else, it feels like, for them. You just don't really notice him that much. So I think that's been kind of their problem to some extent. Is like one of their best players just seems disengaged in those days where he doesn't really score. And, um, you know, like you said, it's it's been pretty inconsistent for him. So yeah. I mentioned for them, I think Daniel Skillings is that guy that'll be the unexpected hero potentially. Who would that guy be for Xavier, in your opinion, if you're looking for one? For Xavier, so are we saying unexpected? Where, because uh, the the UC fan answer to this question is Sule Boom, who's a transfer that's never played in this game. That all of a sudden UC fans are like, "Who is this guy? We've never yeah, but, seen." I mean, this don't, guy I mean, but to you and me, don't you think Sule Boom's expected? Like he's Ben Xavier's most no, consistent yes. guy in big games. Yeah, but I'm just saying when he scores 25 points in this game. We're going to wake up on Sunday morning and go, who's this? Who's this transfer yeah. that they got? Who's this guy? 25 yeah. points. Conference He's USA. Like five foot five. Who's this guy? Yeah. Conference USA. UTEP. You're right. Sule boom. That's that will happen. happen. But he's probably going to have like 15 to 25 on them. I, I would assume. Yeah. I Well, that's that's if you talk. So about I would say game script, you can't uh, choose Sule. You can't choose Jack Nunji, and you can't choose Colby Jones. I would say for this answer, because those to, to me, those are the, like the, the big three for Xavier at this point. All right, hometown game. I'll go Kunkel. That would that would be my exact answer too. If a guy who's been around forever, this game means a lot to local guys, and Kunkel means a low lot key, to Kunkel. Yeah, Kunkel low key has been like pretty damn good this year i think too on the offensive end if if you listen to the sean miller show tonight sean miller just raved about him on offense about how smart he is and how he always like he he actually this was a sean miller quote i'm gonna butcher it but paraphrasing here he said he's so smart and the way he moves and also he's such a good passer that like when we run back door cuts sometimes i wish he could pass to himself it's like because he because he'd be the best option to pass the ball and make that read he'd also be the best guy to set up the cut and get open on the backdoor play. So it's like Sean Miller clearly loves everything about the way Adam Kunkel is playing offensively. Obviously the defense is a little bit of a work in progress. It's like that first three in the West Virginia game. Um, 
he just completely loses his man for a second on the left wing. He comes across the baseline out to the, uh, or on the right wing, comes around the baseline to the left wing, catches a, a three uh, and gets one off wide open because Conco kind of fell asleep. And then obviously he has this physical deficiency. So he's not great defensively, but he has been pretty good offensively. The staff clearly trusts him a lot. And this feels like the type of game where he would show up big. Bob Meyer points out Kiki Tandy. Could you imagine a scene where Kiki Tandy scores 15 points on four threes and an and one in this game? That will drive UC fans nuts if that happens. <laughs> That's one of those. I mean, Sule will to some extent, but the fans are like, are actually paying attention should know Sule. Kiki, it would be fair for that to drive them crazy because, I mean, Kiki yes. has basically once again been relegated to the end of the bench here and the guard rotation. Yeah. Um. The one I, w- I would say uh, for for UC to just to talk about, we talked about him a little bit, David DeJulius. And um, they, it, if you look back at DeJulius's career, look at think about the career that David DeJulius has had. He plays for John Beeline. Then he played for Jawan Howard. Then he played for John Brannon. Now he's played for Wes Miller for two years. The guy's been all over the place in his career. And now he's finally for the first time in five years played for the same coach two years in a row. And crazy out outside of Maui, outside of Maui, where he was basically a non-factor, he has scored at least 14 points in every game. And he has scored 20 in four games, at least he's having a really consistent year. He's shooting the ball decently. Well, especially from three. Um, I'm not saying that he's surprising anybody. This is, unrelated to what we were just talking about. I'm just saying that DeJulius is having a very nice, consistent, solid year for UC right now. Yeah, it's it's who he was last year, too. He has been their go-to guy and really sometimes their only source of offense, but definitely their main source of offense, basically for the entirety of the last season plus. I mean, he is is, uh, on some nights all they really have to go to. And as a six-foot guy who's – an okay athlete, but not exceptionally athletic, that can be really tough when that's your only option because you put a bigger law. I mean, think about it. There's going to be times where Colby Jones will probably guard him in this game. That's a difficult matchup for a guy like him when Colby Jones is six, five, or even Desmond Claude, who's really getting better on the defensive end. You've got a six foot five long athletic guard guarding you and you're six foot tall. It's not easy. And and he does a really good job for them, but he just needs more help and, and they don't really have it. Um, I do want to say just real quick, if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, just go make sure that you go down there and subscribe. Rick and I are going to do more of this live content through the season. So if you miss a tweet or miss a post about it, you'll see it if you're subscribed. Adam asks, what's the one matchup Xavier can exploit the most against UC? Uh, Now, here's what I will say, and we'll know the answer to this pretty quick. Can they exploit it the most? Uh, We talked about the post. If Victor Locken can't figure out what he's doing down low against Jack Nungy or Zach Fremantle, and they have nobody else to rely on defensively, they will eat up the low block. That's t- That would totally be my answer. I think it's going to be, one, Jack Nungy is just better than Victor Locken, and Victor Locken's not very good defensively. And two, Xavier's made it such a point this year to punish teams when they have an advantage or even when they don't all the time to really make a concerted effort to get those high low actions, get the ball into Jack, get the ball into Zach in position where they can do something with it. And this UC team gives you all types of opportunities to do just that. So to me, that's it. It's, it's Jack Nungy versus Victor Lockin, but you could say the same thing uh, for Zach and 
Jeremiah Davenport at times too, if, if they get him in the right position. The one other thing that I will say about this game just as a whole outside of the players is that it's been a trademark of the Xavier program to play a midweek game leading up to the shootout. Because if you play a game against a buy, they, they like to play a buy game on Wednesday before the shootout because they like to be able to answer questions on Monday and Tuesday. And instead of talking about UC or even the previous game, you can just say, well, we're looking forward to southeastern Louisiana instead of having to answer questions all week about the shootout, instead of having this media build, instead of having all this excitement for six days build up into the shootout. Now, Xavier, for whatever it's worth, I guess caught a little bit of a break there because UC just hired a football coach and that's going to consume 90% of the media to where Xavier didn't in the end have to play that bye game this year. But because it's finals week, Xavier can't play a game here during the week this week i think i well uh, this is the last week of classes next week is finals yes. week yeah oh is right? it i thought that's what was... sean said on his coach's show tonight I'll oh that, that that might be true he said because he be said true. this is going to be a normal week for his guys friday will be a normal day because it's last week of classes and then next week is exam i believe yeah, yeah sure you're, you're right you're right now that i look at the calendar you're right um but usually that this is a situation where xavier's playing like a southeastern louisiana on a wednesday night and then that way they're getting their legs back under them. And then you look ahead a couple of days for the shootout. That's not happening this year. But I would say I like this, especially for this team that just played those three games in four days in the, uh, the PK 85 in Portland. And you come back, you had that quick turnaround to the, to the uh, Southeast Louisiana or whatever the hell they were the lions. Um, lions right baby who gave Dayton a run for their money. I don't know if you saw that on Saturday. I, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, so that like, you have that quick turnaround. I think it's kind of nice for them to play the big West Virginia game on Saturday and then have a full week off to uh, rest guys, get Colby Jones back to full strength as much as he can and uh, make sure Adam Kunkel's good to go and all that stuff. It felt like this team kind of needed a break here. Yeah. And Sean talked about that in the West Virginia postgame press conference where he said, it's going to be good for the guys to rest up a few, for a couple of days instead of, having to gear back up to play some kind of a game on Wednesday. We'll take a couple of days here and make sure everybody's back to full health. I'm not sure there was a place in America quieter than the Cintas Center when Colby Jones looked like he snapped his leg. What on, about uh, that? I mean, that was a gruesome play at first when you see him just fall right on his ankle. Yeah. And then uh, the, the opposing player. There was a player from West Virginia that fell right on his ankle, kind of clipped him at a bad spot. And uh, he went down in a heap and was holding his face and then like, I mean, it didn't seem to affect it much from what I could tell. No, it, I, so I, I had a great angle. And I was right there, and I saw it happen, and I saw him go down in a heap, and everybody got quiet. It was this feeling of, oh, because at that point in the game, you felt like Xavier was in a really good spot. The game yeah. wasn't over yet, but you felt like Xavier they were in had control. grabbed the momentum. They were in control of the game. They were in a good spot to win that game, and now all of a sudden, you're going to be without your best player to try and close it out down the stretch, and – I the replays must have I, I still have not seen a replay of it. The replays of it must have looked terrible because within seconds I was getting all caps texts of is he gonna play again this year? And then I sent back, well, I mean, he's he's on the he's he's gonna he's in the game now. Right. So I mean, so like obviously I didn't watch it live and I I immediately I see that play and like my first instinct is he broke his leg. And then I'm like, well, yeah. Obviously, I would have heard something about Colby Jones breaking his leg before now if he's or if like it was a serious injury. So clearly he's OK. Um, but I couldn't believe when I watched the game back and saw that play happen. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, you almost had a devastating injury and uh, it didn't really make too much news there. So that was 
that was very fortunate. But uh, I love this post there, this comment from MK. He says, I need Andy Furman to ask David Julius if Sule Boom would start for UC at some point this week. Obviously, a, a great reference to the old who is Sean Kilpatrick scenario with two Holloway. Uh, that was just great stuff. Uh, Andy Furman, one of the all time greats here. What is Andy media. doing now? He is uh, actually writing articles for Link NKY, which was like, was the River City News. And uh, now, but he's like, been writing articles on all these like uh like one of the <laughs> one of the articles he wrote was on the guy who does the pa for nku and um like it's been like brady? a lot of ra- it no uh it's it, no it not brady does espn plus broadcast the actual pa like in arena oh oh, oh i see nku saying, games yeah. yeah but anyway it's just been like a lot of local around town type interviews and spotlights he did something on mo egger recently so uh that's what he's doing now i don't think he has a radio show he does a lot of work with the point arc down in covington with uh adults who have disabilities and stuff like that so i know he a lot of his work is tied up in charity stuff now but uh, andy Furman is truly one of a kind (laughs) uh over under two technicals in the crosstown shootout this year also from mk i i i'm gonna say under I'm I'm gonna go with the standard offsetting technicals at some point. I almost feel oh, like these okay, two teams true. will overcompensate because they there isn't like really any hatred, I don't think, between these two. That's groups what in I terms mean. I just don't personal feel like, beefs. Yeah. And there hasn't been much of a rivalry in this game recently to where it's like, oh, yeah, look back to last year when things it's like, nah, that there's not nothing really there to look at. Um I, I think yeah, I think these guys are gonna like sometimes when you have that where you feel like there's no real animosity and there's not a lot of fire to the game and one team's kind of heavily favored, I think maybe you'll get players overcompensating a little bit. So I'm going to go with like someone mouths off and they point at each other and it's a double technical or something. It's a total nothing burger, but you'll get a double technical. So it'll hit and push on that two technical number. <laughs> and a total nothing burger. I mean, God, what are we doing here? Also, Kiki and Zach Fremantle can be uh, the first two Xavier players ever to beat UC four times in a row. Xavier's never won four straight shootouts. Uh, so Ben asks, how is Les Miller doing as a coach this season? Is he drawing up nice sets, a tricky defense? Um, Cincinnati's defense ranks 96th in Ken Palm right now. It's been a struggle for them. The offense ranks 55th. But again, you have these like weird outlier performances where they shoot the hell out of the ball and score 96 points against Arizona in a game that they were never really close in. And they've poured it on. Yeah, that was like, the weirdest. I, I don't mean to cut you off. But I, I am going to cut you off for a second because you've made a great point. That Arizona game, you and I watched that game. Yes. It, you, we, we very <laughs> much watched Sorry. that game. We watched that game. UC scored 97 points in that game, I think. 90, was it 97 points? Was that the final total? They, they lost. Yeah, no, 90, 93 points. Okay. 93, 93 points. Yeah. They lost. They lost. They scored 93 points in that game. They were never in it. Never. Like if anybody's listening and wa- didn't watch at eleven thirty on a weekday night to to watch UC play in Maui, they scored ninety three points and never had a shot to win that game. They were down by eighteen with like eighty one seconds left, and maybe somebody off the bench, Josh Reed or somebody, might have Josh Reed. banged a couple, might might have banged a couple of threes there toward the end, Rick. That were costly but, uh, for some more than others. Yeah, yeah. So. But well, you just look at their their standout offensive performances that have put that number at fifty five. You've got ninety eight points against Shamanad, who's not a Division one program. You've got 
87 against Eastern Kentucky, who plays 150 possessions a game. They played 76 possessions in that game. Um, they just go up and down. That uh, what Eastern Kentucky wears shirts that says <laughs> the most entertaining 40 minutes in sports on their warmups uh, because they like full court press and all that. So <laughs> look at the last comment, Rick. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to Kevin in a minute. He's talking about more about Kenny yeah, Satterfield. Go um, yeah, but go ahead about Eastern but yeah, Kentucky. You get the Arizona game, 93 points. You've got uh, – they scored 81 against Louisville, which we all know about Louisville this year, 86 yeah. against NJIT, and 97 against Bryant. I'm not saying you should just, like, not count any of that. But in the few games they've played that have mattered, I, I don't know where you – you know, I mean, you look at the NKU game, you look at the Ohio State game – their offense couldn't get anything going. So I guess my overall point is I don't know if I even believe they're a top 55 offense in the country, even though that's what their Ken Palm number says. I don't think they're great there. Um, and what you've gotten out of Wes in terms of his philosophies, defensively, something they've done that I just don't understand at all is they've been full court pressing, like a three-quarter court press, where they don't really try to trap you or turn you over. They force almost no turnovers. And yet they give up layups out of it all the time or really easy post feeds to where a big man goes one-on-one -on -one deep in the post against Victor Lockin on a duck-in and scores against him. I think Xavier's going to eat that alive. Xavier's been great in transition. They've been great at passing the ball up the floor, attacking with a purpose, and they've been great at first look is get the ball inside on a duck into one of their bigs. That is like everything that UC has been giving up defensively. So, you know, in terms of that and offensively no i have not been very impressed with what Wes miller draws up it's it's a lot of david julius and landers nolly just trying to do their own thing so um that hopefully that answers your question ben i i guess i would say i'm not too enamored with Wes miller at this point any danger of uc playing zone most of the game and we're cold shooting well one i haven't really seen them play much zone period uh but two even if they do that I think they'd have a really difficult time keeping Xavier off the offensive boards. So, yeah, I, I guess it's a possibility. It could be an issue, but I wouldn't worry too much about that. All right, where do you want to go after this, Paul? We we, we need to do a, a draft. We promised a couple people we would do a draft of the roster. We've also got more questions here. You tell me, what do you want to do here? You see any questions uh, you like? You want to go? Let's, I'm, draft? I'm sure, so you, we covered, uh, no, let's do, let's do the draft here. Let's do the All draft. Right. What right. do we, how do, how do we want to, how do we want to do this here? So we we're going to go snake a... draft back and forth. Okay. Um, well, we don't even really need to do that. We can kind of just do a consensus between us and decide okay. between the two rosters, all of them in one pool. If we were going to pick teams, how far do you get? Okay. But we can pick against each other. Maybe it makes it easier and it'll be more honest. Um, all right, you, you go. You get first pick of the draft. Who are you going to go with here? Uh, Colby. All right, I would take Jack Nungy number two. Okay, I will take. Uh, mm, I'm going to take. Uh, if I am I building out a team or am I picking the best players? I would say let's just pick best players. Let's not worry about how they fit together. Okay, then I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take the Julius. Damn. Um, <laughs> I had a feeling that was where you're gonna go. Ah, 
Landers Nolly is probably the better talent here, but I would rather have Sule Boom on my team. Ah, He's more of a winner. He does more for you. I'm I'm going to go Sule Boom. All right. Then can I take the Landers Nolly that played against Arizona? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can take Landers Nolly and you get what you get, which is. All right. And I'll just hope he's playing. But there. this is a steal yeah. at this point because I probably yeah. should have taken him. So you. I'll you take Landers Nolly there. Um. And see now here here here's where you start taking the Xavier people and this becomes the depth issue for UC. You really just get a run on Xavier guys at this point. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. I mean, I probably go Adam Kunkel next and then you go Fremantle? Yep, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Can we just Kunk- can we just like play a game of Uno here and just know exactly what, how this is going to play out? Yeah, it's 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 Kunkel then Fremantle. I mean, I don't know that I go back to UC yet. Do you go to Do you go to lock in there? Probably, probably. You probably go to lock in there before you go to. You probably, I would probably go to lock over. What? Because this is basically lock in or Jerome. I'd go. No, I would go. Well, yeah, maybe. I, I would go lock in. I for think sure, this yeah. pick is lock in or Jerome, and you're probably taking lock in there. Right? I think it's lock in, but then I don't go Jerome. Ne- I honestly, I think I go Desmond Claude next. I don't want Mike okay. Adams Woods. No, no offense to him or his family. I'll take I just, Jerome. I don't. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. At that point, I like I don't. You know what? You can kind of do whatever now, you poor, want with the rest poor of the Jeremiah roster. Davenport too. He's having a rough year. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think it's hard to win with him on the floor. I think he's not very good defensively. He can't shoot kills you offensively because he takes way too many shots and he's very low percentage shooter. Um, Yeah. I don't know. We've got a, what did Marcus Walters tweet? We've got thoughts on Marcus Uh, Walters latest tweet. Did he tweet breaking breaking news here? I'll pull it up right now. Marcus Walters. Marcus has been a little quiet lately. Marcus has been he's been kind of waiting, working the working the phones, working the sources. Uh, Marcus Walters tweets Cincinnati head coach Wes Miller on facing Xavier this weekend in the crosstown shootout. Xavier is a good team this year. Bob Nungy is arguably the best player in the Big East. High praise for the walk on. <laughs> Bob Nungy. Bob Nungy. All right. Um I guess we got a few more questions to get to here. I don't, hopefully that draft was uh suffice to, for uh, it was good enough for what you guys wanted there. Jerome I mean, Hunter it's just, Go I, I think the, the point of, after drafting those guys is like, you kind of see Xavier has the best two players. Then there's like, okay, UC's got some guys, you mix and mingle with that. And then all of a sudden it's just a drop off. And it's like Xavier guys for three or four straight. Yeah, I mean, UC has yeah. lack of depth and lack of high-end talent, which isn't a great combination. Nope. Uh, people forget that Kenny Satterfield was a McDonald's All-American. How many other? Not a lot. How many, how many times am I going to make that? A lot. I got a it wrong lot. a lot today. Uh, are you about? worried about this being Xavier's true first road game? Ah, uh, not really. So, I mean, this isn't going to bother Jack Nungy. It's not going to bother Zach Fremantle. It's not going to bother Colby Jones. It's not going to bother Adam Kunkel. Yeah. And now I, w- I will say, I will say this Xavier team, 
nobody was on that team back in 18 that played the last time that this game was at UC full. Cause the last time it was at UC was in COVID. 20 for the COVID year yeah, when they right. couldn't, when they, when UC caught just them's the breaks, you know, with the, with the lack of a crowd there. So this, I mean, it definitely, this t- it definitely matters. Like home court advantage is a huge deal in college basketball. Especially in this so game. I, yeah. I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but, um, in terms of being too worried about it, I don't know. Like Xavier played pretty well away from home at the PK 85. That's not the same as a true road game, but I would have more concerns if it was like, Oh, they, the way they played didn't travel at all with them to Portland. It's like, now nah, they're pretty much the same team there as they were at the Centos center. I would say for the most part. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Does the crosstown shootout not count now that they have a new football head coach? Xavier's PA guy is great. Xavier's PA. Her, her guy Bauer is great. is great, by the way. Xavier's awesome. PA guy. Her Bauer. Do, do you do you have a Herb Bauer impression? Can you do a Herb Bauer? Uh, oh, uh, three point field goal. Three point field goal number twenty four. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's yeah, I mean, number thirty two. Darnell Williams. Williams of Xavier. Yeah, or Bowers, legend. Uh, Jerome Hunter fan club says, does the crosstown shout not count now that they have a new football head coach? Does that concern you at all? Does Scott Satterfield or Kenny Satterfield, either one, walking out and being introduced as the new head football coach at halftime of this game and getting the crowd all fired up, does that do anything for you as a potential game changer? Well, if it was Kenny Satterfield, it, it for sure it would. It's just going to happen, right? They're going to bring him out. They have to. I have to, I would assume. They have to. They announced him as coach today. So, I, yeah, he's going to be there. Yeah. Get them all fired up. They have to. I don't want to get too much into that, but I have to say, like, the optics of hiring a coach while his former players at Louisville are just trashing him on the way out is like, that's that's tough. That's a tough one. Paul is a well known UC homer. I think that's well documented. Yeah. Uh, Andy says, I missed the other Paul. His tweets were spicy. What happened to your tweets? What'd you do? I don't know. I don't know what that's in reference to. Bob got stats in the Southeast Louisiana game. He did. Nunji. You know what was funny? Uh, Nunji, they all, I just love when the, when the walk-ons get in and how much, because at that point in the game, the crowd was very sparse with the game being such a blowout. And we were... I mean, these walk-ons, we were just jacking threes. Just jack. <laughs> even with like 20 seconds left in the game. Brad Colbert, just jacking. I mean, my man is going to get some shots up. If, if Brad's on the <laughs> yeah. floor, he is getting shots up. there. You don't have to worry about, oh, do, you know, is, is someone going to be willing to shoot out of the walk-ons? No, they've got an alpha, and it's the man with the mullet. That's for sure. Uh, Marcus has to deal with Marquette Walters tweets now. I have not seen any big breaking news from Marquette, though I did notice she had a uh, an account. Bob Meyer says he talked with an active Louisville alumni. They are thrilled he has gone downgrade. Yeah, that seems to be the common. Th- I listened to Louisville uh, talk radio this morning for like two and a half hours, and common theme was people saying this is like Christmas come early. So, uh, yeah, I don't co- going to pull Connor Barwin and talk about having a football team while they're getting pumped. Sounds about right. Uh, Kevin says, are you concerned that Xavier freshman will be intimidated by the 1961 and 1962 national championship banners? 
Uh, well, they've played in front of an NIT banner all year, so I don't think I don't think banners are going to intimidate anybody on this team. True. Will Wester. Oh, Will. If NKU is greater than UC, Xavier football greater than UC. See, Xavier football. Yeah, there's too much mental math here for that. For that, this William. Is- <laughs> Will Will Wester Will Wester is also smarter than every single person in this chat combined. Will, Will Wester Will Wester just dropped like a uh, uh, he just dropped equation on us that we have to figure out. Come on, Will Will knows Will is a loyal listener of this podcast and a loyal follower of both the men's and women's basketball programs, and is Thank way you, smarter Will. than anybody here combined. Thank you, Will. Thank you for listening to two idiots. Well, one idiot and Paul. Uh, <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, this, oh, this was the that, burner. Oh, that was a that was like a a disaster. So you that made was a, bad. You made a mistake there by acknowledging it initially. Well, I didn't you want to seem want to give like this guy credit. I didn't want to seem like somebody that was trying to be too much of a hardo and like yeah, uh, right. That's what everyone thinks, right? It's like oh, I'm going to be a nice guy and like like Rich I was Jared, trying to be talks, like I was trying to be nice, but then when it turned but then into people. Like, think that's really you tweeting and it's like you retweeted him and people followed him because of that so it gave him like some actual juice that's the that's the issue everyone's like oh you shouldn't be a jerk to people online or whatever like that or you shouldn't you should laugh it off but that's exactly what happens that's yeah. it. this guy's like you're getting texts from people being like paul what are you I doing getting, are you having a breakdown on twitter or what's going on here i was getting texts gms and even people on the trip in portland that were coming up to me and asking me like what are you what are you talking about and i'm just sitting there like in the press room going i, I had no idea what was going on because i didn't follow it i didn't know what was going on yeah it was not a good situation all right william what year? fix this for us what year will xavier football be better than uc football uh oh could you imagine xavier depend- will never how, how bad is scott satterfield gonna be is the real question <laughs> and i mean, it's like he's gonna <laughs> have to turn the program pretty, the- down pretty far yeah do they get relegated to the pioneer football league yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. These two programs will not play each other for at least a few decades, I would say. Yeah. If ever. If ever. Uh, I think... Uh, I don't think we have any real questions. I think we're good, yeah. Uh, let I me see. I think there might have been one I got in a text from, from somebody that actually is worth answering. Okay, this is a good one. This kind of goes back to the West Virginia game, but it's worth, we can close on this because it's actually a good question. Okay. Uh, were you more encouraged that Xavier put up 84 points on 71 possessions against West Virginia because it showed they'll score on everyone and probably be in every game? Or were you more impressed that X gave up only 74 points on 71 possessions because it signaled the potential for improvement on that end? I'm going to lean on the defense because I think we knew that this offense was special. Yep. Because I don't think that there is any question when I always go back to, can this team just flat out outscore another team if they have to? We knew that. That's been established. But the defense hasn't. That's my answer. That's I, I totally agree. It was like, yeah, this – definitely shows that the offense is legit against a good team and they had that firepower to win a game and all of that. But I kind of think they had already proven that when you look at the other teams that they had faced, they've been facing really good competition this whole time. Were they as good defensively as West Virginia? Maybe not all of those teams, but some of them were. And Xavier still found ways to score. The big question was, 
not only could they be better defensively, but could they get the stops when it mattered to get over the hump against a good team and actually win a game? And they had to do it there in those final minutes. I mean, if the defense doesn't lock down and they keep trading baskets, they never make that run and win the game. So I would agree with you. I was more impressed by what the defense was able to do, especially in those final five minutes. Yep. Um. All right. All right. I think. Yeah. I think oh, that's Troy. Tro- Troy. Can we get Ben to shoot the next home? Yeah. How about my guy just nailing the half court shot on the first shot? Wait, did he do it twice? Or just the one time? No, he just did it the one time. Okay. But he All just right. he just stepped right up there and just. Well, because that was southeastern bang. Louisiana. I saw it. Yeah. I thought just, maybe you were saying it happened in the West Virginia game too, because he was oh, talking no, about challenging no. Redford's three straight here. No. I've never had somebody make it to or uh, I've never had two in, in the same season. So we got a lot of season left. Ben, thank you for showing up and uh, answering the questions. We appreciate all of you guys who joined us. I don't think this one will probably be as good to listen back to as a podcast. This felt more of like a you had to, had be, to be here for the live show and see the comments coming in. So if you're listening to the podcast and it's like not all this makes sense, it's a little too bouncing around. You might have to watch it back on YouTube or Facebook to get the full experience and seeing the comments pop up on the screen there. Um, yeah. But again, let us know because the feedback is good. And again, we went an hour and a half here because of your guys' questions tonight. Uh, um, and the one other thing I will add, not to hijack this show, but you and I are going to hop off of this and then record a rebound rundown. Yep. We have, I'll have um, you on, Mo Eger will be on to talk about UC. Alex Meacham and Brad Redford will be on. Adam Baum will be on later this week and a couple other guys I'm still waiting to hear back from. So um, just as just as extra content, if you're looking for stuff, I'm I'm trying to get it out there, especially since neither team plays this week. There's not a whole lot else to talk. No, NKU and Dayton both play on Wednesday. Those are the only two teams that I cover that uh, that play. So it's this whole week. I'm just pushing shootout content. Yeah, love love the rebound rundown. Go to uh, rebound rundown on any of your podcast listening apps that you use. You can find it there. Uh, just a great way to. Oh, you've got the merch yeah. in. I've got. Yeah, oh, I got it right here, baby. That's oh, sweeter than apple butter. I didn't even realize that's what you yeah, were wearing. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to. If, are you are you going to be selling those or no? Well, it, so I I bought this at Kohl's and then just stamped it. Oh, on got it done. I, it looks, yeah, yeah I, mean, it looks fine I bought I bought camera. the Nike cool. So it might it might be a uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying like we probably can't wholesale Nike. Like I just bought it myself. Oh, yeah. and, but like it'd be the same one. It'd just be like a black hoodie. So I don't know. I we I gotta talk to our production guys and see. Well, I like it. Uh let me know if we can if we can get some of those. Maybe we'll give them away on the Musketeer Report podcast to listeners of both. But yeah, check out Rebound Rundown. Paul's doing a great job of giving you a little preview and recap of the previous day and the day ahead in college basketball so make sure you subscribe to that all right thanks to everybody for listening <laughs> there's your only fans question Paul shirtless podcast if uh xavier beats uc by 30 will you do the next podcast shirtless if xavier beats uc by 30 will you do the next pod this next live show on musketeer report shirtless yeah absolutely all right that's your to hear her first place <laughs> yes Thanks for listening to the Musketeer Report podcast, everyone.